Hello and welcome to this edition of Political Profundity. John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hello there, John, and hello to our listeners. And I'd like to say quickly, folks, I apologize for sounding more obnoxious than I normally do. I'm getting over a lovely case of bronchitis and therefore am sounding like a third-rate Scarlett Johansson, albeit without the talent. Yeah, and I still think she sounds like S.E. Cup, but we're not trying to fake <laughs> that. S.E. Cup, a, a gifted political uh, commentator, gifted. whether one agrees with her or not. <laughs> wow, gifted is uh, quite a compliment for uh, S.E. Cup. But anyway, that's a whole different podcast. Um, uh, today, it happens just to be the day that the shutdown has ended, which I think our podcast this week fell on the perfect moment in time. Um, I don't think we'd had anything break right before we had already scheduled to speak like this ever, um, although we've been close to time or two. Um, but we want to talk about that. And, of course, the actually what was going to be the biggest story of the day, I guess, from the time um, that uh, I started looking at the news this morning, because I'm out here in Arizona, about Roger Stone being indicted and arrested. Um, his home um, uh, served with a search warrant this morning. Um, and, um, we're going to probably get into the 2020 hopefuls, um, at least a little bit. And also what's going on in Venezuela. I think it can be adequately be called chaos and, um, we can be uh, discussing Brexit, but first Karen, um, you know, I think you were putting it well and I'm going to leave it for you, but obviously, um, there was a folding of Donald Trump's position today and trying to rewrite history. You know, look, honestly, and it's not just because we think that this man is, in general, awful. He, he really, he got his rear end handed to him, but good today, by Nancy Pelosi, and yes, by Chuck Schumer, who often trips over himself more often than he needs to. Um, today's announcement, of course, that this shutdown will end after a record 35 days, which has caused just terrible Terrible outcome for 800,000 workers who've gone without pay, had to go to food banks, and you've become driving Uber and uh, other things. No offense against people driving Uber. It's a perfectly fine job. But again, these are federal workers who are having to find other jobs to feed their families, among other things. This came after, of course, Trump had made numerous types of threats, had tried to make a deal with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer that would be more to his liking, i.e. getting money for this quote-unquote wall. He got nothing for it. And now the government reopens, albeit it is temporary. Trump could very well come back and decide he's going to shut it down again with more demands. But for now, it's over. But I, I think it's just quite telling, John. Look, Trump made an Oval Office speech recently. And this is not my wording. This is Rick Wilson, a well-known conservative political strategist who is, needless to say, not a huge fan of Trump's, who described it as a quote-unquote wet fart of a speech. Sorry if this offends anybody. That didn't move the needle. He made another speech recently that fell flat. Uh, it came down to the point where Nancy Pelosi told him, you're not coming into the Congress to give your State of the Union because there's safety issues, among other things. He was not happy about that, but Pelosi held her ground and then some. Um, and today, I mean, we're seeing Trump cave. So far, there's no money for this wall. Uh, now they're going to continue to discuss border security. Fair enough. That's a legitimate concern. 
on all sides of the political spectrum. But I, I, I mean, there's just there's no other way to say this. Trump just he lost yeah, uh, badly today, uh, and it's his own fault. Every bit of this is his own fault. You know, in, and I'm, I'm honestly the only thing I want to say. I, I'm sorry for interrupting. You've got to be impressed with the Democrats who are, as we know, often again can't get out of their own way more times than not for holding the line and not budging. Yeah, and you know the you started off your your comments by you know talking about how he had you know it had been you know Pelosi and Schumer and the Democrats, but at the you know same moment it's 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 just as much about the American people. Um, you know we had polls oh, this yeah. week that also really showed you know seventy one percent in that CBS News poll said that shutting down the government wasn't worth the wall or the wall wasn't worth shutting down the government. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the writing was on the wall um, with um, the uh, uh, votes that, that, that went down yesterday. Um, I think the let the meat cake moment from uh, Wilbur Ross um, had something, mm-hmm. you know, it was going to start to um, dominate the appearance here. Um, uh, then Trump kind of had the same kind of tone deaf statement uh, this morning about grocery stores extending credit. Um, and I think, you know, it just became obvious um, there was probably – you know, maybe even the indication that um, there was a, um, a veto-proof majority to, to just to pass the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what McConnell ultimately told Trump that um, allowed him to kind of save face and come out today and announce that he was going to do it, although it probably was presented to him. I mean, that's my hunch. Um, we know that there was supposedly eight uh, senators that, that, that kind of addressed those issues after the vote yesterday. But, you know, again, it's just all a hunch. I have no reporting on that. But it, it, it just feels like that's sort of what happened, that, you know, the writing was on the wall from all these other different elements. And, you know, what we're still are talking about exactly is only a three-week delay. So there could be on February 15th, um, you know, the government could shut down again. And, you know, um, yeah, um, that, you know that's, it that becomes... Something to worry about. Well, you know... We know yeah, well, what do you... a rational person. He yep. could... I would not surprise me one iota if he pulls this down again. So you really don't think that what he's learned from this from this first um, time where he really had to kind of face this and own it, I mean, he'll have to own the same shutdown again if he tries to shut it down because it will be, um, you know, he owned this one, it's the same topic. You don't think that he really thinks he's going to be able to get out of it. And do you think he'll learn anything where he won't just agree to it? Because it did seem different when he was, like we talked about, is in the beginning when I mentioned he's trying to rewrite history is that it seems like what in his comments, he's even tacking more to the steel slats and even in those other areas, smart borders, kind of really talking about doing more in technology investment than actually wall building. And it seems like the deal actually might be found the next time. And has he learned anything um, from 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 owning this shutdown that he can't do it the next time. It seems like there's even going to be more pressure now on him to just exor- accept any sort of deal. Well, here's the funny... Well, there's nothing really funny about any of this. But as we know, last month, earlier in December, before he had that infamous meeting with Pelosi and Schumer... Yeah, this is the Trump same deal. was willing to make a deal with them. And lo and behold... People who have no role in government other than their agitators and, and yeah, but that was that was even just this handful. deal though, right? I mean, that was the same thing as this is, which was, hey, let's Correct. just kick it down the road, and and Correct. he didn't accept it before, and now he's accepting it um, because that's even better than that. But you know, they wanted 
in him to not even accept what he just accepted. Well, right. And you had to go back. I mean, this seems like a lifetime ago. It wasn't. But people like Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh, who last time I checked, have not been elected to anything and do not and should not have any say in how anything is done other than they can just shoot their mouths off on their radio shows or whatever it is they do. Uh, suddenly going after Trump big time. Well, all of a sudden he decided he was going to become a, a bigger jerk than he normally is and then declare he's going to shut down the government all because of not only them, but a base that was starting to become agitated, you know, annoyed with him. And then, of course, the month after this, when now this is starting to hurt even some of the supporters and we're seeing after a thousand and one New York Times stories, you know, interviewing diners in the heartland who had been loyal all the way, suddenly saying, you know what, I really don't like what he's doing here. I, I, I suspect it, it began to maybe dawn on Trump that he's losing part of his base and he cannot afford to do that. If even a good five to 10% start pulling away from him, I don't want to say he's done politically, but it might be close to that. Yeah, and that, but, so but he that's the fr- afford to alienate these people, and he already has. Yeah, isn't that the fractionalization that it, that that is part of Trump's base? Is that um, there's some of them that will leave him if he doesn't get a full concrete barrier built from from uh, the Pacific um, to the uh, Gulf of Mexico. And and he's going to lose some of those people no matter what. And it's the catch-22 in this argument because some of those people don't want to deal with this kind of fight in order to get it. And so he's going to lose some of them anyway. It seems like, you know, that the political wave that swept him into office was so flawed that his base isn't going to be able to stay together regardless. Um, and, but moving on from that, what do you think the deal looks like in in, in, in February? Are we talking about... Um, basically what was kind of floated earlier this week, which I think was $5.7 billion, but none of it for a wall and all of it on technology, increased ports of entry, increased detection, judges, those sorts of things. Are we still going to be probably ending up with that Democratic proposal that was, you know, kind of kicked around earlier this week? As of now, I feel the odds are very strong for that. I, I just don't see Trump gaining any momentum from this, uh, maybe some of his base would be, well, I, you know, the hardcore base is not going to be happy about it. There might be that peripheral 10 to, peripheral, excuse me, 10 to 15% who voted for him reluctantly who would be okay with that. But I, I honestly think it is going to come down to what you've just said. Government is fully reopened, back pay for the workers, and more money for border security, but not a wall that most of this country doesn't want. Even border states don't want as a general rule. Uh, so I, I just, you know, I don't see how Trump really gets much of anything what he wants. Something, frankly, and look, given what we've observed in the last few years of politics, anything is possible for better or worse. Mm. But I just don't see that this is what, you know, this is going to be Trump's fantasy coming true. So do you think that there right is now. there's going to be an element at all of because the um, most of the Democrats want something done on the Dreamers and, and some of those folks that lost TPS protections um, in 2018? 
Um, do you think that there is sort of at, at all any sort of throwing into some new wall in order to get, um, you know, the Dreamer deal? Because there's got to be something given to get there because uh, the Senate and and, uh, and 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 Trump would never sign that. Probably never going to get a veto-proof majority for for DACA alone. So it has to be part of some other deal. Do you think that that's even an element that Democrats would go to because that's what they ultimately also want as part of this deal is some sort of, you know, uh, figuring what to do with the Dreamers and TPS folks? Excuse me. There's a possibility, I suppose. The Democrats would say to him, okay, give us protections for the DACA. Permanently. Children. Permanently, and right? We will... I mean, we're not talking like a three-year deal like he pitched. I mean, this is this no. is this is permanent protection, and what he calls amnesty, and his his base will call amnesty, right? Well, of course they'll call it amnesty, and that's just a gross, disgusting insult to these young people who, again, by no fault and no decision of their own, were born in this country or brought here as children. But whatever, that's the irrationality of that base. Yeah, and if they were we born did. here, though, they are citizens still. They haven't They're been able American to take citizens. that away. It doesn't matter if their parents were here illegally or not. But, you know, it could be the Democrats come to him, let's play this out, and see, we'll give you $5 billion for your wall, quote-unquote. But... You need to give the Dreamers permanent protection. And you can have your stupid wall. Now, look, here's the reality. A lot of this is going to be built, if it ever happens, in land that is privately owned in Texas. And if we're looking at polls right now and and seeing news reports, there are a whole lot of those Texas landowners. They're not real big down with this idea. There are going to be a ton of lawsuits. You're going to start seeing, if I had to predict... People like Ted Cruz and maybe even Greg Abbott, the governor of this state, start to sort of pull away from Trump on this because they're going to be looking at their own political pressures at home. So you're going to see this topic for years. And, okay, I mean, I, there's, this, this wall would take, even if it did happen, it's going to take years to build. So it may be the Democrats just decide to play that kind of waiting game with Trump, who's going to be gone anyway. Either he's, he's forced out of office he loses in 2020. If by some miracle he wins again, you know, will be such a lame, damaged duck that you might even deceive the, the idea for a wall just to end. There are so many ways this could go. But to this delusional base of voters, this wall isn't going to happen tomorrow, no matter what. So I, I, that's my predict, prediction here. And again, it comes in different it, it diverges in different directions, and I apologize if that sounds loopy. No. But this whole idea is loopy to begin with. I hope that, you know, I hope that makes some sense. Oh, yeah. Um, it, and another statement that we hopefully have heard the last of that came out this week, that build the wall, crime will fall, which uh, I think Trump is in love with for um, four hours this week, um, which was, again, another one that you don't want to start saying because that's probably not going to really happen. Um, um, uh, you know, the wall, I, you know, have to, you know, be, uh, I'm right behind you on, on that prediction. I think I kind of presented it, um, you know, to you as well, but I think there's going to be some discussion on what happens um, with the dreamers and who knows what they end up trading for it. Um, you know, cause they seem to be, you know, pretty well aligned everywhere else. Um, so, there, as of right now, there's not much um, 
uh, other further debate. I don't think it's going to come anywhere else besides on the same deal, um, which I mean is, you know, they're not going to approve some defense program that Trump supposedly wants um, and that they're not for at this moment. There's nothing else that's hot button enough. I don't think that they can make a you know, a, a, a sideways trade. It's going to be, you know, probably an immigration deal, you know, one way or another on the same topics. Um, and that's probably what's, and hopefully that discussion can go on over these three weeks and we don't just end up in the same spot because at, at some point you wonder what the reaction is going to be. Um, um, but, you know, I don't know. It seems like Trump might be even more uh, damaged politically moving forward. I, you know, I don't know if we're 100 percent ready to move into our next story, which really on any other day besides the day that the shutdown happened would probably be number one. But on the um, arrest and indictment of Roger Stone this morning. Um, but, you know, never you know, not knowing what's going to happen over the next three weeks, um, he might not have a leg to stand on, and this n- might not even be discussed three weeks from now, based upon what happened this morning. Right. Look again. This, this, you know, every sort of cliche and expression to describe what happened today. Trump folded like a cheap suit. Nancy Pelosi beat him like a tin drum. Um, you know, the, as I saw one clever Twitter quip from J.W. Weaver, who's a noted. Republican political strategist, worked with Bush 41, the late, great John McCain, and, uh, you know, potential GOP contender John Kasich, former governor of Ohio, quote-unquote, it was the art of the surrender, <laughs> which I think, you know, Weaver wins the Twitter internets today with that one. No, Trump, Trump lost bigly, as he would say. There's just very little silver lining for him in, in this at this point. Yeah, it was the same deal that was there for him before Christmas. And he, look, yeah, he started all of this. This is not a both sides thing. Just, you know, you have the mainstream media that has never been comfortable with necessarily taking on Trump and wants to rely on a lazy narrative. And I think in general, voters, even though they may not love everything about the Democratic Party, can't blame them for that. But I think in general, they're pretty pleased with how Nancy Pelosi at all has handled this. And I think to some degree, John, it speaks to how unpopular Donald Trump is with the nation. I think it speaks to how uneasy people are with him still in this office that many consider him illegitimate. And therefore, there's just less of an inclination to really deal with him because he's not a serious person. You know, we're not talking about George W. Bush. We're not talking about a president, Jeb Bush or Ted Cruz. Even we're talking about somebody who should not be in this office who is not just, just is not a good person in any way, shape, or form. And people see that. They feel it. And this is the horrible reality we're living with. I, I frankly think the Democrats, who, you know, you've heard me many times criticize that party, but this time they got it right. Hell freezes over every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about uh, Roger Stone? Where do you think Trump's going to stand? Uh, it's, you know, he... He flashed his famous uh, double uh, peace sign like uh, Richard Nixon today outside of that courthouse. Um, well, you know, he didn't happen know. to say, I'm not a crook, but he said he said that in, in, in if you want to paraphrase what he said, he didn't do anything wrong. Um, a, probably going to jail. Look, Roger Stone has been in the political arena for decades. He started with Richard Nixon. He has a tattoo of him on his back. Okay, that's just how far gone this guy is. 
he was needy with the Trump campaign until they cut him loose for some time. He's had a, a, a sleazy, terrible background for years. But these are pretty serious charges. And we should note, the FBI who arrested him were working for free because of the shutdown. I mean, how telling is that? He's being indicted on charges that he lied to Congress, obstructed the House Intelligence Committee investigation of alleged Russian interference in the 2016 election. These are serious charges. This is a seven-count indictment. So this is not a flimsy thing. Uh, you know, as we know, the Mueller Special Counsel Office, they don't mess around when they finally release these, make these charges. Uh, it's why Mike Flynn has been in big trouble. It's why Roger Cohen and don't know what's going to happen with his testimony next month before Congress, but it's why he's going to jail. Uh, it's why Paul Manafort is in prison, uh, you know, at all. This is, these guys, you know, when they're going to go after somebody, and I say that go after in terms of a legitimate way, not just as a quote-unquote witch hunt, they do it with, with serious, serious evidence behind them. Um, you know, he's out on bail. He got a $250,000 personal surety bond. Uh, there's a very good story in Politico about it today. And there's a picture of Stone who just seems to thrive on being an obnoxious jackass, you know, with his, uh, his arms raised in the infamous Nixon peace symbol, uh, trying to emulate his idol. You know, he just looks pathetic and ridiculous. So, we, you know, we, look, we don't know where all of this is going to go, just as we didn't know were the cases against Cohen, Manafort, Manafort, excuse me, and Flynn went, but he's in a lot of trouble. And, uh, of course, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. But, um, you know, I, I think we're going to see a very interesting trial here. And where it all ends up, who knows. But, you know, this is a man who infamously had a tweet where, you know, John Podesta, one of Hillary Clinton's advisors, was going to have his time in the barrel well, Roger, looks like it's your time in the barrel. But, you know, John Podesta posted that um, that uh, uh, onto Twitter today that it was now Stone's time in the barrel. Um, <laughs> irony, irony, irony. Um, you know, but it does seem like they have a lot of information on, on Stone. Um, and, you know, the fact that his case is going to be uh, he's not going to be somebody who's going to fold and take a deal. He's re- ready to fight this. So, you know, getting him into courtroom um, is going to be, you know, it's, you know, one of the biggest cases ever. Uh, you know, we're, you know, we, we already saw what happened with his indictment. The uh, uh, the 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 circus that, ha- that 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 just spontaneously formed in Fort Lauderdale today um, will probably follow this no matter where it ends up going. Um, but I don't see that he's going to make a deal at all. Um, he's not the kind of, you know, flip on Trump. I think he's going to make anything he can out of this by not doing that, even if that means he goes to jail and becomes a martyr. Um, if, if, if in fact, he has information that he's not sharing, which we don't know. Um, but the idea is, and what is being, you know, uh, you know put across is that he says this is all just a coincidence Mueller now has information saying, we know that you're talking to these organizations and that you tried to obstruct any sort of information showing that you had anything to do with it when you did. And so basically what the indictment reads to me is that they know that he did, and it's just, it, you know, they don't have him admitting it and they don't have Assange to grab. 
um, because he's still in the embassy. So it seems like this is going to go to trial. Do you see any other way around that? Do you see? Uh, no, I agree with you, John. This, this guy is a zealot, and he is um, seems as unhinged as Trump is. I, you know, he's not going to be smart enough, and even in the way Mike Flynn wants to take a deal to try to save himself, then you know that's his decision. Uh, he's he's a, a highly unpleasant person, so I don't think there's going to be a lot of tears cried for him one way or the other. Um, but it, it just it seems that there's again considerable evidence that this man was working with you know rather shady elements within the Trump campaign. He was working with Julian Assange at WikiLeaks. Um, and, you know, hold this whole thing unfolds. We, we don't know yet. I have a feeling we haven't even begun to learn uh, just how bad this is going to get for him. I, I mean, if he's somehow found not guilty on everything, okay. But I, I would say the odds against that are, is that happening or slim at this point? He is, this is a guy who just has been knee-deep in dirty politics forever, that suddenly anybody would believe that he was some saintly force here within the Trump campaign. You know, they're just as delusional as he is. And, you, you know, it was that, it's that tie between um, Stone and Trump that I think is very interesting, and then the tie between Stone and the man that got them together, that Roy Cohn. Um, right. So... You know, Cohn was, um, you know, the Trump, um, uh, uh, you know, attorney, family attorney for a long time would get things done. Um, They worked together on Ronald Reagan's presidential campaign. And there's been allegations that Stone um, said Cohn gave him a suitcase, um, dropped it off the officer uh, of of an influential uh, um, lawyer in the Liberal Party to get Anderson to be on the ballot. Um. So, you know, it's it's dirty tricks all along. I think people knew, and it's why Roger Stone hadn't really been tied to a presidential candidate since that time, um, since Nixon and then what they did to get Reagan elected. And it was kind of, he was the dirty trickster. He's the, he's the plumber that never got indicted and never was stopped by what happened in Watergate. He just kept doing the same things and even did it possibly, um, if, if the allegations can be believed, in... Um, the 80 presidential campaign, and that's what he did. And he supposedly was urging Trump to run as early as 88. They've been friends for 40 years. Um, this is this is the dirty trickster not wanting to say anything. This is not Michael Cohen. This is, um, uh, you know, uh, Roger Stone, Roy Cohn, Don- Donald Trump kind of thing where, you know, it does seem like this isn't, you know, he'll take whatever actually happened to his grave. And I think, you know, the linchpin here is, is Assange because he's the other side, I think, to whatever happened and whatever coordination there truly was between Stone um, and Assange can be, um, you know, validated by him um, if if someone can get him into a courtroom. And, and that's debatable at this point, and especially by the time that this is, you know, going to be discussed or, or by the time Trump's going to have to run for president again. Um, so, I, you know, but the Roy Cohn thing, and if people don't know him, he was also the tie to back to Joseph McCarthy, where we feel like at sometimes there's this, you know, they're trying to get the deep state, and it's been the, you know, the is the current boogeyman. It's the same boogeyman as as there was with communists in the government in the fifties, and um, it seems like it's still alive. Like you want trying to get away from the Joseph McCarthy feeling that runs through this country, but 
um, it, it seems like ultimately, uh, you know, years and years later, um, that Donald Trump is elected president um, on that same kind of wave of America first. Um, there's secret boogeymen out there to get us. And I don't know, it, it, it's an interesting angle to this whole thing. It doesn't really, you know, uh, you know, purport on what Roger Stone is doing today and what he's in trouble for. But it's still those dirty tricks is basically what happened. And to the extent that the Russians were really involved or whether they just cultivated it. But um, just like what happened with Nixon, it's not uh, necessarily the offense. It's the covering up of the crime. And And if there was a crime here... Um, although I don't know whether we're going to see it because in, in instead of in Watergate, you had literal burglars who were Americans and, you, you know, G. Gordon Liddy and those folks were kind of, you know, the black ops kind of guys. Um, this was done by a foreign government and hackers, and we might never get those people. Without actually catching the Watergate burglars, we might have never been able to go as far as they did in the case. Um, but, you know, here we are. Uh, it seems like it is Nixon all over again, and there's that tie to... Roger Stone. Well, right. Another observation I have about this doesn't have anything to do with his indictment today. Years ago, during the Bob Dole campaign in 1996, when he was running for president against Bill Clinton, I'll never forget this. I saw an article in Newsweek because Stone was working briefly for the Dole campaign. And there was a picture of him. And I'm not making this up, folks. It was in a Newsweek article sitting next to a woman, I think whoever his wife was at the time, some poor misguided soul, dressed in bondage leather gear. I'm not making this up. All right, so right. She, that infamous Apparently photo. once that was revealed, what a degenerate this guy is, they let him go. But I remember looking at this picture and thinking, who in God's name would want to have this guy working for them? Well, now we know. And good, you know, good for the Dole campaign back then for saying, get out of here, man. But this is just, this is the kind of creep that Butcher Stone is. And while, you know, there's no guarantee he's going to sing, sing forever, there is something quite delicious in seeing him being humiliated today. I think uh, schadenfreude is uh, the word that's operative. He's been a dirty, nasty trickster for years. And at least for today, he's getting some comeuppance. Yeah, you know, and you know, and like I mentioned, I mean, you know, he's he was involved in in most you know presidential campaigns through Dole when um, you know he kind of got you know shut out by McCain and Romney, um, but he was he was there and involved and always on the periphery, um, though, and it became less and less that you wanted to publicly be known that you were associated with Roger Stone, and so he was that. That underground guy that you would get to to run these dirty tricks campaigns or these you know promotional campaigns, and it came into a different level, and it only shows that you know we're in this tech age that that's what they're doing him as is on on the internet, um, on social media, um, hacking. Um, those are the new ways um, to really get to the same old dirty tricks that were going on in the nineteen uh, seventies uh, before and after, um, and. You know, especially, um, you know, we know that there's there's only been that we know of two break ins to an opponent's presidential campaign. Um, and they both were you know perpetuated by Republicans against the Democratic Party. You know, uh, coincidence? I don't know. But in and, and same kind of dirty tricks ideas and run by the same sort of group that, 
know, Stone was, you know, minorly part of in Watergate. He was just part of that same kind of theme. He wasn't actually part of Watergate, but he was part of that same kind of feeling. Um, He probably learned a lot. He was a junior guy then. And it hasn't stopped. And it got to the point where it was here in 2016, um, you know, breaking in um, to their files electronically. Um, Yeah. Stolen documents are stolen documents. Right. Um, Quick thing just to interject. Regarding the shutdown, apparently Jim Acosta of CNN is reporting the U.S. Senate has just passed a three-week CR by a voice vote. So we're getting closer to formally ending the shutdown for now. Sorry. You know, I'm not sorry that that's happening. I just didn't mean to kind of get us back to the other subject. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just don't think not talking about Stone today, you know, and, and I think we talked about it, uh, Trump accepting this deal today, n- a coincidence at all? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe he would have held out for a few more days if it didn't. Uh, do you think there was oh, anything to do with him without, deciding to do it today yeah. because of because of Stone? Without question, this was this was bad for Trump for sure. So I guess his advisors told him, "Look, man, you got to do something now, or your approval rating our ratings are going to continue to go down the toilet, and your your basically your presidency is even more endangered." Uh, than it already has been. So I, I have no doubt between that. I know we're not going to discuss it, but these revelations about Jared Kushner's security clearance, no surprise to anybody who's really been paying attention to it. You know, I, I, it's just it's all around a really terrible news week uh, for Donald Trump. So, you know, he had no choice but to cave. He's already in so much trouble that it would just further, it's just one more knife that, uh, you know, or to say death by a thousand cuts that he doesn't need. So what do we think is, uh, there's a lot of 2020 hopefuls who see how vulnerable Trump is, especially on the Democratic side, and there's even some um, feeling that there could be possibly um, Republican challengers to come um, in to face Trump, which we don't, you know, know for sure whether that would happen or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But... um, there's uh, Kirsten or Kirsten Gillibrand, um, uh, Elizabeth Warren, who, Julian Castro, I think is how he pronounces that, John Delaney, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Richard Ojeda, who I think is a long shot, but... Um, he just um, dropped out, by the oh, way, sorry, Twitter's reporting that too, according to The Intercept, so for whatever that's worth. I frankly uh, think he was a way long shot to begin with. You know, and Michael Bloomberg, um, you know, possible Cory Booker, possible uh, Robert Casey Jr. Um, is is was you know kind of you know floated out there. Eric Holder, um, but uh, Kamala Harris seems to be at least so far of the early entrants that are already there. She seems like she's gotten some um, uh, some real movement and. Um, you know, she's been the most appealing one to me. I just think the way that, that she presents herself, um, you know, uh, Gillibrand, I think, you know, she's um, she's probably well uh, suited. She could probably handle the job well. Um, I, yeah, I just think, you know, the public persona is there. I think, you know, Harris kind of talks. It feels more like you're in her living room instead of being talked to. I kind of feel like Gillibrand talks to me instead of talks with me. Um, you know, over the, you know, and really it's how, you know, people perceive them over TV. Um, you know, to me, that's my front runner at this point. Um, what are you seeing? Well, this is, uh, again, it's, you know, we, we can't, we can't avoid 
the 2020 campaign. It's here, like it or not. I look. We've got we've got in terms of just getting Democratic votes. We've got some we've got some strong candidates here, um, and, and and the fact that so many women are running it also tells you something. You know, there has been a lot of attention paid to Harris the last few days. Certainly, she's a popular senator here in California. Anybody who watched her question Brett Kavanaugh last year, which, you know, we're stuck with him now, sadly, but there's no question her, her, you know, interrogation of him did damage, that this woman is tough. And in a debate with Trump, I, I think she destroyed him even worse than Hillary Clinton did. Although I think it wouldn't be hard for a five-year-old to damage Donald Trump. He's terrible at anything other than giving speech. Well, you know, even giving speeches to his rallies is not impressive. But that's, I suppose, where he gets any power. Um, but I honestly, John, I've got to say, I just feel right now it's too soon. We have her. We have Elizabeth Warren, who I'd say has much more name recognition um, than, than Harris does at this point. I think Kirsten Gillibrand comes with sort of a set of problems, uh, and it has nothing to do with Al Franken. I, I frankly think anybody who's going to hold that over who had, you know, they're wasting their time. I just don't think voters care about that one way or the other. Uh, although she's, you know, she's a tough cookie as well. I, you know, I, I think, honestly, in terms of real contenders, and I, I am not trying to dismiss the others because they're female, not at all. I, I honestly think Sherrod Brown... If he decides to run the Ohio senator who just got reelected by a decent margin in a purple to red state, although Trump's approval ratings there are not great right now, I think Sherrod Brown could be a seriously strong contender who could outright beat Donald Trump. Uh, he has a lot of things in his favor. And now he would be smart to put Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris certainly, Maybe Julio Castro of Texas as his running mates. That would be a strong ticket right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I I just think Joe Biden, frankly, to me, is a non-starter yeah. for a lot of reasons. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I you know, uh, I just think he comes now with way too much baggage. Yeah, from the 2016 campaign, it is nothing against him personally. But there is still a lot of hard feelings, especially among Hillary Clinton supporters. Michael Bloomberg, for whatever his gifts, I just don't see it. You know, we have a ton of names here, but in terms of, as far as I'm concerned right now, strongest contenders are Sherrod Brown, followed by Kamala Harris, followed by Elizabeth Warren. But you know what? We all know. It is still a long way oh, yeah. to 2020. Oh, yeah. Anything could happen. I remember, we all remember 11 years ago, now, no, 12 years ago, there was a newly elected senator from the state of Illinois, very charismatic, smart, likable African-American named Barack Obama, who'd thrown his hat into the ring, whose chances all the mainstream pundits said no were slim to them. For a lot of reasons, well, we all know how that turned out. Yep. So we can have these front runners, but we've seen many in many presidential elections 
The dynamics can change on a dime. And who you thought was ahead can suddenly be, be out. I, and that, never mind, we didn't mention Beto O'Rourke. Now, this is a guy who ran for Senate in Texas, uh-huh. didn't win, but came very close to defeating Ted Cruz. That in itself is a miracle. Mm-hmm. But I think what hurts him is that he didn't win. Right. Even though, he, you know, he again, Ted Cruz's campaign was scared to death of him and for good reason. But this guy could still be a force of his own. Yeah. I, I think we've got some strong contenders. On the Republican side, if John Kasich throws his hat into the ring, I think he could pose a seriously strong challenge to Trump. For all the Republicans who can't stand Trump, many of whom didn't vote for him, a few who held their nose and did and now deeply regret it and want a decent human being again to be a contender. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think, think that that's, that's the biggest threat. I think that's that, that that's you know definitely true that um, you know you know Trump likes to to brag about how many Republican contenders he beat, but without having um, all of those contenders, he probably wouldn't have won um, oh, some of the early bits. So, if it had just been him, Jeb Bush, and Ted Cruz, did Marco Rubio, we would be have a we'd have a very different world right now. I'm exactly. sorry for interrupting. I just want to no, say no, no, that. no. I I you know I agree with you 100. percent And I'm you know I'm glad you're you know kind of putting more details to it because that's really what it was. You had a lot of outliers. He won a lot of those early races, um, uh, just just because he got more votes than other people. Um, and you know if you add everybody else up, there were still it was still the anti-Trump vote in a lot of a lot of places. People voted for anybody but Trump already, but when they got to the general election, they they just voted the Republican side, um, uh, and also voted against Hillary Clinton. And that's, I think, another you know aspect of it you were mentioning is the baggage. And I think you know when you're in a presidential campaign, which is one of the advantages that Obama had, and uh, I think one of the advantages that Trump even had was that the baggage that that people tied to Hillary Clinton, right or wrong, it's just there. You know, you can't you can't fight a fact. Um, and you can't fight it in those cases either, that it's a lot easier to run for president when you don't have as much baggage um, for people to kind of pull out or they've already made their decision um, uh, on what kind of person you are, whether they like you or not. Um, and I think Elizabeth Warren's carrying a little bit too much of that baggage, which is why I don't see her ultimately winning the nomination. I, I you agree. Know? I think Warren, who is an incredibly smart woman, no question about it, but I think her mannerisms, and, and I, I'm trying to be very careful with my phrases, they come as way too professorial. I just think in terms of connecting with certain voters, she's not going to be able to do it. It's not to say she wouldn't be a fine president or an excellent addition to a Democratic president's cabinet. Exactly. cabinet. exactly. Uh, she's got a lot going for her. But in terms of having that magic combo needed, and of course, I say that given we have somebody in office right now who has no positive virtues whatsoever. We all know how Trump, quote-unquote, won. And to this, it's always going to be an asterisk next to his name. But in, in terms of a Democrat being able to take him on, gonna have, if we're still stuck with him, we don't know. A year from now, John, we may not, he may no longer be in office. But I, I just think, and that puts a whole other dynamic on it with Mike Pence if he decides to run. But I, I just, I, again, it's going to have to be a Democrat who has just certain qualities and that intangible X factor in the way that Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, and some other successful Democratic presidents of the past we could mention had. So I, you know, it's an interesting field on both the Democratic and the GOP side. Who ends up the winner of this? 
it's too soon to tell. Yeah, but it does seem like you know what that 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 is going to be that situation where um, it's that person that people connect, and I think we both kind of you know feel on that same level. Um, somebody has to connect to somebody that they want to have a beer with, and I think that's the thing you know about Obama, or you can invite into your house to actually have dinner with, um, and and that's the difference with you know you know electing a president typically um, is having that feeling, and that was I think part of the problem with. The 2016 campaign was that both candidates were not anybody that you would want to do that with. I mean, Hillary Clinton seems like a very nice lady, mm, but I, I don't know, John. I respectfully disagree. No, with you I, on that. I, I, I just think that most of the most Hillary of the Clinton is somebody. Most of the. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm just saying most of the people out there, um, you know, right. didn't feel that way. That. You know, I'm not Hillary I'm, Clinton. I would be fair, George W. Bush, and almost any other person you could be in a room with and not be physically sickened by. Donald Trump, I, I don't even think a lot of Republicans even like him. It was their dislike of Clinton more and their dislike well, of Trump. Well, that's my Obama point, is that people that see that, 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 that there's a large majority of the population who see Hillary Clinton that way. And, and that's what, you know, there's no real, there wasn't a, any winning on the Republican side because of the baggage that she had and the well, way no, and, and their no, perception I, I of her to begin that, with. But remember, she won the popular vote by three million more votes. If Donald Trump had managed to win the popular vote, I'd have to agree with you totally, and I I do and I don't agree with you on your on your uh, on your theories of Clinton. And but again, we are where we are now. Hillary Clinton is the past. Like her or not, I, that's where she is. So what I was she, ultimately going to get to is that, that at, to to some point, I think that that even Kasich isn't looking at at running because of one of the things you said. You, we don't even really know whether he'd be running against Trump in 2020 or Mike Pence or someone else if he's out of office. And, you know, Kasich kind of laying that down at this point, it seems like it's too early because, you know, he needs, right. if he's going to do it, he needs to do it at the end to make sure who he's running against because there's a, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to put a percentage on it, but at least that percentage exists. It's a double-digit number. I don't know what double-digit number it is, but there's a chance that he's not running against Donald Trump if he declares right, right now. It, it, it could be that Trump is so damaged by the time next year rolls around that even enough of the more hardcore Republican base say, you know what, we're tired of this shit. It, we're, you know, we're going, he's going to lose. We need somebody who can hold on to the White House it's time to give Mike John Kasich or Marco Rubio, theoretically. Or I, I can't think of a Republican woman right now, frankly, who <laughs> would get, gain enough votes. But it's time to give somebody else a chance. Or it could be we're rid of Trump, period. He's gone. He quits because he knows impeachment's coming, because the Mueller report is so damaging he can't survive it. And we have President Pence in a few more months. Well, I'd like to make and a... I, I just think there's so much up in the air right now, it's... I mean, it's mind-boggling. It I, truly is where I, we are. I'd like country. to make a prediction that if Trump is still in office um, a year from now, there um, is at least one, if not three, um, Republicans who throw their hat in the ring to run against him, and they do it in January of sure. uh, 2020. Because, you know, right before they really need to gear up, because I don't think they need much ground game. If they can see that that opportunity is there, all they need to do is declare, and it's enough to to, to make a an impact in those early states. Um, so, but that's what, but that's my prediction. Republicans running. Um, if, if Trump is still in office in January, there will be people declaring then no time between, uh, uh then and now. Um, do we want to move on and speak really quickly about, um, uh, 
Venezuela and Brexit? Yes, let's go international now. So why don't you take on uh, Venezuela and that uh, you know cluster blank that's going on there? Yeah, I God, it's just heartbreaking what's happening in that country. You know, you've had Nicolas Maduro in charge now for several years. Things have not gotten any better there. Their economy is, you know, to say train wreck doesn't even begin to describe it. People have been starving there. There's just been all kinds of chaos and massive protests. Uh, we had this week, finally, a leader named Juan Guadio. I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation. Uh, taking the reins and sort of staging a protest run and declaring himself the legitimate president. The White House has recognized him as that. You've got some other South American and Central American countries, including Mexico, that are saying, nah, not quite ready to do that yet. Um, so just there, Venezuela has been literally in a crisis mode now for, what, a year and a half, two years? Mm-hmm. Uh Nothing has changed since Hugo Chavez was running the country. Certainly, he did a terrible job. Of course, he passed away from cancer a few years ago. Uh, Maduro, again, has just been a disaster. I, you know, Guadillo, I think, as a leader, is certainly untested. but he knows what he's going to do if he even truly takes the reins. It seems like that situation is, so much, is in so much flux. We don't know from one minute to the next it's, it's going on. Um, I, I just... Your, your heart just has to break for the people of that country who have suffered so much under this. And, and there seems to be no end in sight for it for them. Now, what makes this complicated, of course, in terms of our relationship with Venezuela, is this country has a lot of oil. The Trump administration has made some vague type of threats towards what it wants to do. You know, I do I think we'd invade? I don't know. I don't believe so. But uh, it's it's just extraordinarily bad what's happening here. And if there are sanctions declared on the country, that would de- deliver yet another blow to its economy, something certainly the people of Venezuela don't need. But if we lose the Venezuelan oil outright, that's going to affect our gas prices here. Uh, again, quote unquote, first first world problems. But you know, sadly, this has been a situation, and I I will fault the Obama administration, and you know, the Bush administration as well for not being able to forge any kind of real solution that would have resulted in stable, decent leadership for that country. And again, I realize the dynamics. In fairness to both, the Bush and Obama administrations were just as complicated then as they are now. But it's just a shame that neither could do something that maybe could have been resulted in a better country and a better situation for the people of Venezuela. I I just, this is, and we're not, look, Americans in general, because of what we're all dealing with right now in our own country, we're not paying attention. I understand that. But I, I think, unfortunately, as the situation with Venezuela worsens, I fear we're going to get pulled into it. And perhaps militarily, because remember, Maduro also made an announcement the other day that all American diplomats were going to leave. I mean, we could see a situation where he sends over his military to throw them out. And, you know, that's going to get ugly. So I, I, you know, we can only hope cooler heads prevail here. But I'm, I'm not, 
optimistic about that from everything I've seen. Now, so it's, I, it's, no, it's, I don't know what your take is, but no. I, I just, again, my heart breaks for the people of Venezuela. They don't deserve this. No, you know, and it's a, you know, Venezuela is one of the last surviving, you know, vestiges of a dictatorship who that is, that is disguised as socialism, Um, you know, where it's, it's really power kept at the top. Um, And, you know, from Chavez to uh, Maduro, um, it, it, it just was, you know, passing of the throne and the same power brokers are controlling the country, Um, you know. He, you know, whether he won the election or not, um, you know, what's going on with the economy is 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 not very good. It's helped by what's been going on with us, um, you know, and I think it shows that things are 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 really, um, you know, you know, put into um, perspective. Um, but it, it obviously wasn't a fair election, um, you know, and and and. Whether no, you know sure. Guadillo is going to be able to, you know, if again, if I'm uh, Guadillo, um, Guaido, um, if if he's um, actually ever going to, you know, be recognized as the president beyond both the United States, um, you know, but there's something going on uh, that that we need to, you know, I think the tie is what how unstable Latin America is, and we've talked about this before. Um, you know, but talking about, you know, the, the, the southern border and the caravans, which become a big deal, um, which is, you know, go, t- takes us back to our original story. I mean, Venezuela is a part of that. Um, it's, you know, three million uh, people, um, you know, is being reported by a variety of sources of left Venezuela in, in the last few years, um, probably since, t- you know, 2013. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just gotten worse. Um, hyperinflation, uh, the economy is a mess. Um, and, 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 you know, last thing we need, you know, with, with Honduras and Guatemala being the way they are, the last thing we need is, is a worse situation in Venezuela. Um, and, and, you know, the United States has always kind of taken, at least, you know, from the Monroe Doctrine on, it was always that there is, we tried to, you know, look after Latin America and do things and try to help, um, or um, a lot of the time it was really oppression, um, in the past. Um, but, you know, you would like to think that it's gone into the forefront that we would, you know, at least help the situation in one way or another. I don't know what that solution necessarily could be. I don't think, you know, military intervention is the answer. Um, but, you know, there has to be um, the idea that I think, um, you know, the with with the vacuum that, that, that exists in the White House, I think, you know, for some of these things that if they don't see there's anything there for them, it's kind of like, hey, let those people kill themselves. And it almost seems like that's the idea. I mean, they've said the same sort of thing about what's going on in Syria, but it seems like it's that same feeling that's going on in Latin America where, hey, we just want to board ourselves up. And if, if, if these people want to try to come because it's crappy there, well, they better figure it out. And we're not looking. And, and, you know, it's a vacuum of power. It's a, a vacuum of influence. It's a vacuum of the power that the United States has and more than just its military to do something about it. And, you know, you know, Chavez was one thing, Maduro's another, he seems vulnerable. Um, you know, it should be the full force of the federal bureaucracy working now to make sure that that gets figured out in Venezuela for those people, for us, for everybody. And it's not being done because we're fighting about this wall and because the government's been shut down. Right. It's, 
you know, the, the shutdown, to go back to that, just it also affects our diplomatic community mm-hmm. and our diplomatic efforts. And given that we don't have a particularly legitimate, serious administration running the country right now, you know, that, that again, only magnifies what a mess, you know, our standing in the world is and how bad it is. Um, I, I just, I mean, God only knows how this is going to end in, in, you know, Venezuela. But, uh, you know, between that, you have issues with Brazil because they have recently elected a lunatic, mm-hmm. Char Bolsonaro. I, you know, just, it, it's not exactly, these are not exactly the best days for South America, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, all of Latin America. Um, you know, we had mentioned before on this uh, podcast that AMLO in, 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 in Mexico wanted to invest $30 billion into, um, uh, yeah, Central America. Um, right. You know, uh, th- that would go a long way. I mean, we're talking about $5 billion for a border wall. Um, just imagine what it might do if we actually helped, um, you know, support, um, you know, a free and open Venezuela and to not have to worry about that and help what's going on in Honduras and Guatemala. Um, you know, um, you don't need the border if, uh, if, if uh, people's um, home countries are safe and they can prosper there. Um, you know, people don't find a need, um, you know, and we should be prospering all over the place. Um, I, you know, that's, uh, one of the things that I think is, uh, it, advantageous for us as a world when, you know, it's like everything else, when we all do well, um, we're all doing well. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, it, and it, 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 it really benefits everybody. Um, so, you know, you hope that there can be some sort of attention now paid to foreign policy, which it seems like. You know, Trump has been so mired in domestic policy and, you know, there also used to be that a little bit of a separation where, the, you know, the executive branch would kind of deal with our foreign policy and, you know, be, you know, sign offs as needed by Congress. But um, Congress kind of handled the home and, um, you know, maybe we need to get back to a little bit more of that. If I could if I could, uh, you know, plant one idea in Donald Trump's mind, it would be, hey, let's make some peace and make everybody do well everywhere and, and we'll have a safer home. Yep. Well, that's a, a pretty empty mind. So, <laughs> good luck. Let us know if you succeed. Well, there's we a lot of that. maybe there's a lot of space to place ideas. That's <laughs> fair enough. Fair point. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can only hope. Um, hmm. Speaking about um, ideas needed um, in Britain, um, they're still having a Brexit mess. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, like their eggs. They dropped their eggs in the kitchen. Um, seems like they can't get anything cooked. Um, and, you know, good or bad, we've talked about it before on this podcast, too. It seems to me like, um, you know, Russian meddling um, ended up uh, doing Brexit first, and then we ended up having Trump elected here. Um, they're trying to deal with their own mess. Um, seems to me like the only way out of it is just to stop. Right. I mean, you know, recently Theresa May was just handed, speaking of another world leader being handed a major defeat, when she put her deal before the British Parliament in Westminster, they said, no, thank you. Sorry for my bad accent. But she and still survived the vote of no confidence. Margins ever in that country's history. Even her own party was not thrilled with it. So, you know, we're, and again, as Americans, we're not paying much attention to it. Because we think, well, how does this affect us? But eventually it might. And, you know, I, there, there's just growing concerns now that this is going to have devastating effects for their own economy. You know, that's why you're, you keep seeing stories of British stores rationing food and rationing medicine at all, because they're no longer going, no longer going to be able to buy these things easily from EU member countries. 
Um, the, the chancellor has warned that a significant disruption to the UK, there's going to be a significant disruption to the UK economy if Britain leaves the EU without a deal in March. Uh, although he's also said a no-deal Brexit was a default that we could find ourselves in. I, I just, it just seems to me like Theresa May really has no good proposal to fix this. And you're now starting to see a lot of leaders, including the Irish Prime Minister, saying it's time basically just to scrap this and just have another referendum. Now, again, he's the Prime Minister of Ireland, which shares a border with Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom. So Ireland does have a reason to care about this. But I, I just I, I don't know what the polls are showing right now, but it, it just seems like more and more the momentum is moving towards Let's just scrap all this and start over, yeah, well, and we'll have another vote, this time hopefully without Russian interference. And beyond that, because- I, and, you know, it seemed, it, it seemed uh, asinine to me, you know, May's um, big push for why they should have approved the deal she came up with and why she doesn't want to allow a second re- re- referendum is because she says that the people voted and if we don't uphold what they've said to us then what are we then we show them that their vote doesn't worth anything and our democracy isn't worth anything that's the argument um but it it always seemed a little insane to me that they voted on something that they didn't know the ramifications of and and you could do that and then say well you have to automatically be tied to it when you find out the details when the details stink and 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 that seems like what the whole Brexit thing is to me. They voted, yeah, we, let's get out of the EU. Let's be a good old UK, Britain like we were before. But the details of that are a lot dirtier than anybody ever thought of. And, and they didn't have the plan. I mean, if you had, this is, you know, it, we if we're going to leave the EU, these are going to be the, the, the ramifications. They didn't have that when they voted for it. The, the deal had to be worked out afterwards. And that's where it's, it's – that's not a deal. You don't like walk into a car dealership saying, I'm buying the car no matter what deal we work out. You know, If the car ends up being a lot more than you thought it was, you're going to walk out. You wouldn't want to agree to that deal. And I hate kind of putting political ar- arguments down to the common man. But this one really plays to that. They voted for something that they were blind to and, and wouldn't know for years. You now – to me, the only thing that seems to make any sort of sense is saying, okay, let's vote on this um, for whether we actually want to do this or we want to not leave. You know, to me, that makes actual sense. And the argument of we have to follow it just because one vote was taken when we didn't know what the results were going to be is, is, is just insane. Yeah, I mean, look, this was one of the dirtiest, the, the leave campaign was absolutely one of the most dishonest and dirtiest ones maybe ever in the history of, you know, politics. And they also capitalized on, you know, there are echoes of what our country is, the fears of an older white demographic. It doesn't like how diverse Britain is becoming. And, you know, sadly played on that racist element um, and sort of pushed the needle a little bit. So they also claim that we could have so much more money from the National Health Service. Well, that turned out not to be true. Yes, this thing was, you know, just built on full and utter lies all the way. And I think it's finally dawned on enough, you know, citizens of the United Kingdom, including ones who voted for that, that they were really hoodwinked. And I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. If I had to bet, I'd say they're probably going to do another referendum. 
and Mace is going to have to save face. I mean, she's recently survived a no confidence vote within her own party, but still to come to that shows how badly she's handled this. Now, in favor, in, in favor, I'm sorry, in fairness to Mace, she didn't want Brexit to begin with. In 2016, she made it clear she didn't support it. I mean, a lot of the blame lies with David Cameron, the former prime minister, who thought this was a smart idea to put this before voters and then backfired on him, and he lost his job for it. But it may, you know, felt like she had to follow through, but her following through now, I think, just looks like, uh, I don't want to say delusion, but it looks like just a badly misguided form of stubbornness that isn't helping her, it's not helping her party. And ultimately, and more importantly, it's not helping, you know, the United Kingdom citizens. Um, I, I think we can, I think Brexit matters to us in that we look at this as an example of what happens when you have dishonest brokers in charge of elections. The, the terrible consequences that unfold from that. Um you know, and it very well could affect what kind of trade deals we have with the United Kingdom down the road. As we know, Trump, in, uh, not Trump, but May invited Trump last year there for a, you know, a meeting to try to get trade deals out of him. Where that didn't seem to go anywhere. And Trump wasn't particularly wanted in, the, in Great Britain to begin with. He's mm-hmm. widely disliked, even more than he is here. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, you know, this has just been another world event that has... It has repercussions for other countries, not just the United, you know, not just ones in the EU or Great Britain itself. And uh, it's, it's just been an extraordinary, tragic thing to observe over the last two and a half years. I agree, and I don't know where we're going to be done with it. Um, it seems like... I, I, stay tuned, folks. That, again, it's a situation, I don't want to compare it to Venezuela. The United Kingdom is a much more stable situation than that. But it's where anything is possible. I wouldn't be surprised to say in six months to a year, you know, we have another referendum. This time the Leave movement fails. Britain stays in the EU. Maybe this time they get more concessions, which is understandable, from the European Union. They keep the pound. And, you know, we go back to quote-unquote normal. But, again, just uh, an extraordinary turn of events. Well, Karen, thanks again for this great discussion. I always enjoy talking with you, and I'm sure everyone else enjoys listening to us. Uh, at least our regular thank listeners, you. we thank you very much. Uh, Karen, thanks for, for spending um, another uh, hour or so chatting with me. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you so much to our listeners, and I appreciate your patience having to listen to me this week, given I sound like... Uh, a second-rate uh, smoky lounge singer. Yeah, you sound great. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> we'll see you all next time, everybody. Bye, Karen. Thank you, everyone, and God bless all the federal workers.